Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Sunday, everybody. We are live on AMP. So if you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast feeds, don't forget AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. Also, coverage of the NBA Finals here at Hoops Tonight is brought to you by Chase Freedom Unlimited. How do you cash back? All right, so we have a very special guest today, senior NBA writer at Sports Illustrated, one of my colleagues, someone that I respect a great deal. Mr. Chris Mannix is going to be joining us. We're going to talk a lot about uh, some offseason stuff having to do with Chris Paul and Kyrie Irving in particular. But the NBA Finals are technically not over. But we're going to dive into the basketball a little bit. Chris, first of all, how you doing, man? Are you are you of the opinion that the series is over? You know, I, I watched all of the conference finals games, uh, most of them in person, and it, I can't count Miami out of anything after what they did in the Eastern Conference playoffs. But, you know, throughout this series – you really just gotten the sense, and I know Miami hates to hear stuff like this, but that there is a talent gap, you know, between these two teams. Uh, credit to them for getting game two, but part of them getting game two was, I think Denver spent the weekend between games one and game two, kind of reading their press clippings a little bit, feeling themselves a little bit, played with a complete lack of effort in the second half of that game. And, you know, you don't want to say gave it away, but certainly allowed Miami, especially in that fourth quarter where they, you know, built a 12-point lead uh, to to climb back into it. Uh, you've seen over these last couple of games in Miami a different level of intensity, and you've seen Denver be able to win, you know, not to speak in cliche, but without clicking on all cylinders. Like, you haven't had, you know, the perfect games from Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. Game four, you know, Aaron Gordon in the middle part of that game just goes bonkers and makes up for, you know, foul trouble in the second half. Uh, with Jokic. So it, it just feels like Denver's better. And it, it feels like if Denver you know, comes out with the requisite intensity in game five, uh, this should be a series that ends on Monday night. 
I 100% agree. I, you know, it's funny. I, I always learn so much more on rewatches than I do on my first watch. I'm always like appalled at how much more I'll pick up when I can really slow down and look at the game. And game two, in, in the moment, you're like, man, Miami's making all these shots. But when I went back and watched the film, it was by far Denver's worst defensive performance of the entire postseason. Mm-hmm. And I want to cut them a little bit of slack because they were so good for weeks before that. They had won seven consecutive games. They had brought consistent defensive effort um, throughout that entire Western Conference final series and the end of the uh, Phoenix Sun series. And, it, it, you know, it's funny because when they got to Miami and Denver brought that intensity it kind of felt like a classic case of like every time Miami would try to plug two holes, they'd open up two more holes. And so they get absolutely shredded by the two-man game in game three. And then in game four, they kind of slow the two-man game down. And then the bigger, stronger athletes and Bruce Brown and Aaron Gordon get going and they kind of close the deal. Coming into the series, the more and more I stared at it, I struggled to find basketball reasons for why Miami could win. And, you know, that's going to be the interesting thing for Denver looking forward because I always felt like the Lakers didn't quite have the amount of shooting they needed to punish the way that Denver guarded. And Miami has the shooting, but they don't have the shot creation needed to really generate the types of shots that they need. And so I do wonder if in the future Denver could be exposed defensively by a particular type of team, but I just don't think Miami's got the horses. And as as far as a home court chance to win in front of your in front of your home crowd and to hoist the trophy for the first time in franchise history, it almost feels inevitable. And this is not a this is not a situation like Game Seven in Boston, where they can go in there with a mental advantage. It's going to be the opposite. They're, the Jimmy and Bam have, are are not playing particularly well. I don't necessarily feel like they have the horses to go in there and get it done. Um, but on that note, let's just assume that they close out in five for the sake of this specific topic. Everyone's under contract next year in the starting five. Bruce Brown has a player option, if I'm not mistaken, um, although he almost certainly will opt out of that and test the market. Do you do you see this as a start of a long run of contention for Denver? So it's an interesting question. It's actually one I'm I'm writing about this week is sort of the idea that Denver is the next in line of of this group of mini dynasties. And that's what's kind of defined the NBA, you know, over the last 20 some odd years. Uh, you know, before the turn of the century, there were like actual dynasties, you know, the Celtics from the 50s. You can certainly argue in the 80s you had two with the Celtics and Lakers kind of interchanging for most of that decade. The 90s were defined by the Bulls whenever Michael Jordan uh, was active. And, you know, even the early 2000s when the Lakers won three straight, they had a three or four-year window where they were clearly the dominant team. But then you're talking about San Antonio, four and eight, Miami, two and four, uh, Golden State four and counting. They'd certainly tell you in in Warriors land that they're not done you know, with their version of it. Um, and I think it's a reasonable question because, you know, the players on that roster, they, they fit that that kind of mold that you're looking for when trying to decide if a, a team is a dynasty. I mean, Jokic is 28. Uh, Jamal Murray is 26. Michael Porter Jr. is 24. All these guys are under contract through at least 2025, and that's when Murray's going to get a new deal that's probably going to take him uh, through the turn of the decade. So the pieces are, are certainly in place for that. The question you, you you ask is, will they be able to plug those gaps with support players? Uh, Bruce Brown, I don't anticipate being back next year because I think he's going to get an offer significantly higher than one Denver can match. I think they're limited by what they can offer him 
uh, in a new deal if he opts out. That's why Denver, when I talk to people out there, are pretty optimistic about Christian Braun stepping in and being that next version of Bruce Brown. Christian Braun is already a contributor to this team. I mean, you know, what he's done in this series kind of gives you plenty of reasons to be optimistic that he can be that guy. But can they continue to do what they've done so well over the last five or six years, which is draft in the later stages uh, of the draft really well with guys that are plug and play? Uh, and can they nibble on the margins in the way they have the last couple of years and find guys that can you can plug and play? Uh, the evidence says yes, right? You know, Calvin Booth has picked up right where Tim Conley has left off in that front office. You know, Calvin Booth was the mastermind behind shifting this team, specifically the role players, from made more offensive-oriented to defensive-oriented. And specifically, we're talking about Contavious Caldwell-Pope. We're talking about Bruce Brown. Uh, I know they made a run at Gary Payton the second, you know, last year. They're interested in him. So, you know, they understand the value of defensive-minded guys as part of that rotation. Can they keep finding those guys? You know, can they keep finding the next version of Jeff Green that you can put into that rotation? That That's probably what's going to do it. Um, I don't think they can just hang their hat on Jokic, Murray, and Porter Jr., just overwhelming everybody. But if they can find those guys when they lose players inevitably via free agency, this is a team that you would make a favorite, you know, for two, three, four, maybe five more years in the NBA. Because Jokic, I heard Jamal Murray speaking on Sunday, talking about he thinks there's another level to, to Nikola Jokic, that there's still another place he can go to. Porter Jr., I think there's another place he can go to. I mean, Murray, yeah, you know, he has never been an all-star. So there's obviously a place he can go to. So I think there's another level those guys can get to that will make them a front runner. Their ability to win championships, though, is going to be contingent on finding those Browns, those Caldwell Popes, Christian Braun in the draft, those types, and and their ability to keep doing it. Yeah, I I when I look at their core five, they're certainly going to be in the top tier of contenders for the foreseeable future. What I don't see from this group is a juggernaut. I don't think this is a team that the other good teams in the league see as unbeatable. I think they see them as gettable. I think I do think that you're going to see a lot of teams, like I, I'll be stunned to see, uh, or I, I will be stunned if there isn't a couple of centers that just get obnoxious paychecks this summer from teams that are uh, trying to move mountains to find bodies to throw at Nikola Jokic. But in terms of that core five, I do think, especially when you look at the way that they guard, which depends so heavily on defending pick and roll three on two and helping Jokic from behind with Aaron Gordon, there is going to be a team out there that has really good shot creation and really good spot up shooting that can cause them some problems. I don't, I don't think this is going to be the type of team that rips off three, four championships in a row. I do see them very similar to like the San Antonio Spurs, a foundational star that doesn't have much of an ego that is going to, throughout the entire era of his time in Denver, be a consistent force in that locker room. I actually do think Jamal Murray is for real. I know his, uh, the regular season numbers don't really add up, but the way I look at it, he was awesome in the bubble. When he came back in 2021, he was one of many guys that didn't quite look the same that regular season, probably because he took two months off from the game and didn't even touch a basketball to try to recover from a very stressful uh, stretch in the bubble. Then he messes up his knee and and then you're out for a while and it always takes a season or two to get your legs back underneath you it didn't really look like himself I think next year is going to be the textbook like 
first truly great regular season for Jamal Murray, where he gets an all-star selection, potentially makes an all-NBA team, like that kind of thing. Yeah, and I look, I think the other obstacle Denver will run up against is that, you know, in the new CBA, it's no secret that the NBA was gunning for the Clippers, they're gunning for the Warriors, these teams that are free spenders. But, you know, Denver's got three guys on max or near max contracts. Uh, Aaron Gordon makes a boatload of money. Uh, the NBA in this upcoming CBA that's going to be phased in over the next couple of years, um, you know, there are like lever levers in place to block teams like that from just adding talent upon talent. I mean, this was a collective bargaining agreement that was, I mean, it, I don't want to say written by Sam Presti, but it was like this as a <laughs> this this is a a small market written collective bargaining agreement. Like they they are trying to block these teams that have all this top-tier talent from just accumulating it. Now, Denver's not the example the NBA is looking for because the NBA wants to prevent, you know, teams like the Clippers from going out and just buying championships. Uh, you know, not that a team like Denver has done so well in homegrown and growing talent. Um, but they're going to have some problems, you know, with, with their salaries and their payroll reaching where it is, whether it's losing certain exceptions that, they can use to acquire these mid-level type of talents or, you know, just not being able to to do trades over a certain uh, level of spending. So I think, uh, you know, that's going to be something that Denver's front office is going to face. We've got to get creative in trying to, uh, you know, add to this roster in the, in the years to come. Exactly. And, that, and that's where I look at it. Like there's going to be a different version of that starting lineup in all likelihood three to four years from now. Somebody's going to get squeezed. Who knows who it is, but somebody's going to get squeezed. And we talked about that a little bit on my show. Like fundamentally what makes Denver unguardable is it's this two-man game that's perfectly, that like works perfectly together. The, the games are so complimentary. Aaron Gordon is kind of the ultimate non-shooting threat because of how gifted he is at finishing behind his head around the rim and operating out of that dunker spot. He's so good at offensive rebounding, punishing mismatches. And then it's not just spot-up shooting. It's like deadly spot-up shooting in the form of Michael Porter Jr. and Contavious Caldwell-Pope. So there will be versions of this that uh, that look more beatable. But that's why I like the Spurs as an example. Th to me, Denver seems like one of those teams where in the, season, in the seasons where a truly great team isn't there, they're just going to float to the top. You know what I mean? But anytime they run into the combination of a truly great defense, that's also a truly great offense, which I don't think they saw in this playoff run. I think that's where they're going to potentially run into some issues like Phoenix, if they bolster their uh, uh, athleticism on the wing and in the front court, right? You know, if Boston finally figures out some things with their shot creation, there are going to be teams like for instance, Boston, I wanted them to beat Miami so bad, even though I find that particular Boston team a little unlikable. <laughs> the reason why I wanted them to win was just simply because I thought them playing five out without Warford was the perfect type of team to really test Denver's ability to contain the basketball and and we just never really got to see that but for Denver fans I want to say this from a, a, a standpoint of optimism like you guys are going to be in the mix every year I would say like I wouldn't be surprised if they made four consecutive Western Conference finals you know what I mean but I just don't see them as like an unbeatable juggernaut the way that I saw the Kevin Durant Warriors Angie's List is now Angie your home for everything home Angie doesn't just get your home projects done Angie gets them done well with 20 plus years of experience combined with new tools to simplify the process Angie makes completing home projects easy with over 220,000 pros in their network Angie makes it easy to research compare and hire 
pros to get the job done well. The pros in the network are locally based, and they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area who have actually used their services. You all know what it's like to own a home. You walk around, like I walk into the kitchen the other day, and my refrigerator is just making this horrible grinding noise. Or on Saturday, we were having a pool party. I had to use a couple outlets that I hadn't used in a while, and I found three or four outlets around the house that just didn't work. And that's super annoying. But the best part about Angie is it's a great tool to help you find the best available deal to get that work done and to get it done right. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site, you can have Angie tackle your home service project from start to finish. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. On that note, let's say that tomorrow night, uh, Denver hoists the trophy. Nikola Jokic gets finals MVP. I... I'll just let you go first because I'm curious to hear your opinion. Do you view Jokic's playoff run as all-time great? Or do you view it more as just like something more along the lines of like what Kawhi Leonard did in 2019, where it's like like a legit finals MVP run, but no one's looking at him as like, you know, the all-time great, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I don't look at it as an all-time great playoff run because kind of what you alluded to they they didn't have a a peer really that they went up against uh an equal um you know phoenix as talented as they were we all knew the flaws with that team not the least of which was chemistry of having only played a handful of games together before the playoffs uh started you know i was as on board with the lakers as as anyone i give the nuggets credit for rolling through them in four straight but they were certainly a a flawed team and now it's Miami and I'm not going to dismiss Miami as just an eight seed you know Miami's better than that but you know it's not the you know I'd probably feel differently about Jokic if he had gone through Boston or Milwaukee or in a matchup with Joel Embiid in Philadelphia Uh, so I think it's a a playoff run that elevates him I don't know if it elevates him to that top tier stratosphere I mean you, you have to look at at the numbers, the the triple doubles, which could be, you know, what, 11, 12 by the time this this postseason is over, an all-time record for a playoff. So, you know, he answers every question that was ever out there about his ability to succeed in the playoffs. But to get to that next level of superstar, that all-time great level of superstar, I want to see him go up against a team that is just you consider their equal or even consider their better to beat someone that you're 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 staring down and you're the underdog in that in that particular series by a sizable amount. Some as a critique of Jokic or the Nuggets. You in the NBA you play the team that's in front of you and they have beaten every team that's been in front of them, most of them pretty badly. Uh but if we're talking about where that this plays playoffs pushes Nikola Jokic, it's a level up, but it's not that all time great level up just yet. I 100% agree. And like it's me, you know what's ironic that the team that it reminds me the most of is the 2020 Lakers where it's like they're a bona fide champion, great team, great playoff run from uh uh from LeBron James, but like they were just better than everybody. Like there wasn't like ever a moment where you felt like they were truly threatened. And and that's the thing. Like that's this is not a a a a, a, a some sort of shot at Jokic. He's going to get his opportunities too. Like LeBron James for instance in 2020 Finals MVP 
no one's looking th- at that as his most dominant playoff run. They're going to go back to 2016 when they were down 3-1, or they're going to go back to two- like 2012, for instance, where he's trailing 2-1 against the Pacers, trailing 3-2 against the Celtics, trailing 1-0 against the Thunder. Like they're, I've always said that like one of my favorite things about sports is when adversity forces an athlete to dig down to a level of greatness that even he didn't know was there. And as dominant as Jokic has been in this run, it has not been a run that's been full of adversity. So legitimate championship, probably one of the most unstoppable offensive playoff runs I've ever seen. And just in sheer, like, watching the TV, you're like, oh, there's literally nothing you could do with this guy. You know, like that kind of thing. It, it's it's an all-time great playoff run on the offensive end. But when you really start to look at the the the, the greatest playoff runs of all time, there's significant opposition, two-way dominance, like... Uh, usually like a, a handful of clutch games that they've pulled out of thin air, you know, that kind of thing. And it just, this run lacks some of that. And, but that's the thing is like, if this, this Denver team, like we talked about earlier, they're going to be, they're going to be consistently on this stage and they're going to have plenty of opportunities to go up against better teams. And and that's, that's why you play out your whole career and you don't make up someone's entire legacy when they're 28 years old. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. So let's let's move on from the NBA Finals and let's talk a little bit about this offseason. So I spent a little bit of time digging into uh, Chris Paul. And it's not all bad. He was underneath a point per possession in pick and roll in this postseason, which is below average. Not great. Um, did take a, did, did take a good care of the basketball. Shot 47% effective field goal percentage on pull-up jumpers. Not awful. 48% on pull-up twos. Not awful. I did not think he was even a, even an average defensive player in this playoff run. I think his foot speed has really tailed off. Um, that said, I do think he brings some positive things to the table that NBA teams can use and certainly belongs on a roster. So what have you been hearing about Chris Paul? And if you 
if you could pick a specific basketball situation that you think makes the most sense for him, where would it be? Well, Phoenix wants to find a way to make it work. And I talked to Frank Vogel about this on my show and he went on the record about saying he's, you know, bullish on the idea of of coaching Chris Paul. He thinks this team will be a significantly worse team, you know, if he's not on the roster, kind of paraphrasing a little bit what he was getting at there. Um, I, I think Phoenix, though, is is going to explore the trade market, which I don't think will be all that robust because of Chris Paul's salary. And then I think when we get to the the days after the draft, they're going to have to make a decision. Do they value Chris Paul on the roster? Because they could just cut him and then re-sign him at a smaller number. Or do they value the salary slot, which I believe is that $11, $12 million exception, which Phoenix can create if they wave and stretch Chris Paul, which would eliminate them from signing. I think it's going to come down to that, you know, because yeah, I, I think there'll be teams that talk to Phoenix about a Chris Paul deal, but the contract makes it just challenging to to put something like that together. It makes sense for the Suns. It brings back the kind of value they're looking for in return. Uh, the market for him is going to be robust because even though he is a diminished player, as you pointed out with some of those numbers, um, he's not looking for the max contract. He's going to be looking for kind of a mid-level exception-y type of deal, maybe even less if it puts him in a situation that he wants to be in. Um, you know, the, the two LA teams are the teams that come up all the time when I talk to player agents and executives about where he might land. Uh, you know, the relationship with LeBron, obviously longstanding. Uh, I think there'd be a recruitment there from LeBron James. The Clippers... You know, they've been searching for a point guard for years now, like somebody to plug and play alongside Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And they can offer an opportunity where, you know, Chris Paul doesn't have to be Chris Paul with the Clippers. And and I've asked around, too, about the, you know, the acrimonious way that Chris Paul exited L.A. a few years ago. That really isn't a variable anymore. Doc Rivers is not there. Blake Griffin is not there. Steve Ballmer doesn't care. Like, that's he's just not wired that way. So I, I do think you'll see those two teams compete the hardest for Chris Paul's services if there's a wave and stretch situation where he can't go back to Phoenix. But everything I've been hearing from people around Chris Paul is that he wants to play there. Like, he likes it there. He's happy in the city, in the in the market. Uh, and he sees an opportunity. Like, he wants to play with Kevin Durant. He wants to play with Devin Booker. He's helped take this team to a certain level. And if you're Chris Paul and you're looking at your best chance to win a championship in the twilight of your career, I don't know that they're any better than the Phoenix Suns. You go to LA and yeah, you could help, but are they a championship front runner with a soon to be 39 year old LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who is unpredictable with his health? The Clippers, same questions like on paper. Great. But are they better than Phoenix? Because I don't know how you can count on Kawhi and Paul George to play a full season after the last couple of years. The Suns, in addition to being the place he wants to be, are represent the situation that makes the most sense for him. So I'm very interested to see what happens between the couple of days between the draft and that June 28th period where he, they have to make a decision on the guaranteed portion of that contract. I think that's what, what it's going to come down to in Phoenix, whether they value Chris Paul or that salary cap slot that can be created by waving and stretching Chris Paul. I hate the idea of Chris Paul staying on the Suns. It just doesn't make any basketball sense to me. And like, I get it from his perspective. 
like it's home. And I agree with you, like, even though I think the Lakers could be better than the Suns next year, the Suns are probably a safer bet, just simply from the standpoint of health and youth of their superstars, right? Um, but, you know, when I look at that team, it's it's kind of a redundancy. It's another high pick-and-roll point guard that relies heavily on pull-up jump shooting that does not generate rim pressure. And, and they've already got two of those guys who are better than him. And, you know, it's funny, when I if you asked me, like, hey, like, Jason, what kind of point guard would you want playing alongside Devin Booker and Kevin Durant? It'd be a guy like Bruce Brown. Like a big athlete that can take point of attack defense assignments that generates rim pressure, like Bruce, like especially in semi transition, just can hit the Jets and and put real pressure on the rim, which is something Kevin Durant, and Devin Booker can get a little bit lax with sometimes. Um, now that's that's an example of a player that would be very difficult for them to pull off. But that, when I talk about archetype of player, that's kind of what I look at. The uh, what I look at with with Chris Paul, especially when I think about his point of attack defense deficiencies right now, I think he's got to play with a real rim protector. Um, and that's why I like the idea of both the Los Angeles Lakers and then another team that I'd, I'd be considering, and I know it's probably the last thing on their mind because they're in the middle of the NBA Finals right now, but the Miami Heat. Because a legitimate screen and roll big man that would have excellent chemistry with Chris Paul, but most importantly, would buy him the ability, the leeway, to be very physically aggressive on defense at the point of attack. So like, hey, don't worry so much about getting beat off the dribble. Disrupt the guy, funnel him to me, and I'll help you on the back line. Like that kind of thing. That's why I don't love the Clippers fit because they're not a team that has great rim protection. But, you know, I I'm with you. Like I, I, I think he absolutely can help a team. I just, when I look at this specific Suns situation, I just feel like if you're, play if you're the Phoenix Suns and you're playing Chris Paul big minutes in a playoff series, I feel like that's leaving meat on the bone, so to speak. I just think yeah, there's better options there. Yeah, look, I mean, Bruce Brown, he could fit into probably that salary slot there. I mean, I, I, it's hard to predict what the market's going to be for Bruce because there, there are teams out there that could really overpay him. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, you, you know, Houston could go out there and say, we need a defensive-minded guy at point guard and also a guy that, you know, knows how to win and is is someone that uh, is a stable veteran that you're trying to to bring in. They could pay him a bunch of money. Detroit could pay him a bunch of money. San Antonio could pay him a bunch of money. Like there's a, there's a lot of teams out there that could offer Bruce Brown and probably will offer Bruce Brown more than uh, more than Phoenix could. But I, I do agree he, he makes some sense there. I, I, I think the problem is like there are guys that make sense, but what happens if you're left with nothing? Right. And that like you're counting on, you know, campaign or whoever it is at that point guard slot. That's that's not better than Chris Paul. And all of a sudden you let Chris Paul go and got nothing. In return. I think that's the biggest fear in Phoenix right now, that they could wind up shut out of a player that they believe is better from Chris's perspective. I mean, I like the 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 Miami idea. I think two teams to watch as dark horses. One, you know, one is Memphis because and they were to offer kind of what you're talking about the rim protection on that back line with Jaron Jackson, Stephen Adams when he's healthy uh and you know if you're Memphis and there's the anticipation around the league that it's going to be 30 some odd games that that John Morant gets when when Adam Silver ultimately announces suspension which could happen as early as this week I mean if the finals end on Monday I I don't think the NBA is going to waste much time in in announcing that uh that decision um you, you not only get somebody that could play right away, but, you know, rest of the season, you can get a professional in that locker room, which clearly that team needs um, with what's gone on this year. And Boston's the other team I thought about as well. I mean, the Celtics, among their issues going into next year, which include finding another big in that rotation, uh, they need playmaking. That, that was that was badly missing uh, in the playoffs last year. And Marcus Smart has, has been 
above and beyond where I thought he'd be as a point guard. But, you know, these last couple of playoffs, there's just been that little missing piece of of a playmaker uh, in that that rotation. Now, that kills them defensively because they can't be that switch-happy team that, that you know, Ime Odoka and now Joe Mazzula has, has adopted. But, you know, that could be someplace that could – a team that could pursue him at the – the right price uh, as well. I absolutely love the Memphis idea. That makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. You're going to be without your point guard likely almost half the season. He steps in and helps maintain your position in the standings. Um, specifically, that team, forget about even the the locker room presence, even just from a basketball standpoint, without John Morant, they don't have any half-court shot creation. Desmond Bain is more of like a, a, a curling, you know, shooter type of guy that and he, I will say I was impressed. I was really impressed by Desmond Bain in that Lakers series and some of the high-level shot creation he demonstrated in like game four, game five area. Um, but that 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 makes so much sense. And then the idea would be kind of like the way they use Tyus Jones in like a two-guard lineup with John Morant. You end up playing Ja and Chris if you have to at a certain point uh, later on in the I series. Think he, I think you could shop Tyus ball. Jones. I think you shop Tyus yeah. Jones too. And he's cool. great because – if you're really going to part ways with Dylan Brooks, um, and that is obviously the direction they're going, um, you've got to get somebody to replace him. Like, I, I hated the idea. I hated that when the news came out, they wouldn't re-sign Dylan Brooks under any circumstances. All right, well, then you better have a 6'6 wing defender, you know, ready to go because, you know, the guys you have, Zaire Williams, they're not it. Like, that's not, those aren't the guys. Um and, and look, you've got a, a wealth of draft picks you can use to make a deal, but Tyus Jones could be someone that really interests NBA teams, both as a starter and, you know, as he's built the best backup point guard in the NBA. So it, it creates some flexibility for you in, in, in making a deal, which I think Memphis also needs to make to get to that championship level. Yeah, and if you could get Chris Paul, that buys you the leeway to be able to get rid of Tyus Jones and use that asset to bring back the wing that they need. That makes a ton of sense to me. Um, all right, so before we get out of here, uh, where are we at with the Kyrie Irving pending free agency? I my gut just says he's going back to Dallas, but I'm really curious to hear what you've heard in the research that you've done. Yeah, I mean nothing but that. Um, the recruitment of LeBron was kind of eye rolling, um, at least among the people I talked to in the NBA. I have not heard anything close to a suggestion that LeBron would be into it. Not not the least of which is. He can't just go, right? Like they had, they'd have to do a deal, and you know, Dwight Powell and whatever, whatever deal. Let's give up to, the rest of the athletes, so they have absolutely like, nothing. Yeah, <laughs> and no, no, yeah. I mean, it, not to mention, it doesn't make any basketball sense really either. Having three ball dominant guys and no defenders on that team, but like that, how that reporting and that information leak that was out there was interpreted was. Kind of Kyrie sending a message to Dallas that he can be a guy that helps the Mavericks bring guys in, right? Because that's been a Dallas problem over the last like two decades, really under the Mark Cuban regime. They have not been able to lure free agents. Guys just don't go there. Um, it's not a criticism of Cuban who does a lot for players and is as you know player friendly as any owner in the NBA. And they've got Luka Doncic, which you would assume guys want to play with, but just haven't had any success. This was interpreted by many people I talked to as Kyrie saying, you know, I can be that guy that brings guys in. You bring me back at the right dollar figure and, you know, I'll help you, you know, build the pieces around that we need to win a championship. I just think the the marriage between Kyrie and and Dallas is just one of necessity at this point. The Mavericks can't afford to just let him walk away 
and there will not be an offer out there for Kyrie Irving that matches his his financial need, his financial ask. Like everything, everything about Kyrie Irving needs to be viewed through the prism of him looking for a big contract. That's what he's been about. That's why he pushed his way out of Brooklyn because they weren't willing to give him the type of deal he's looking for. And that's why all this stuff is playing out in the media in real time right now. So I just expect Dallas to make him uh, a competitive offer, a compelling offer. And Kyrie will, you know, not, I don't think he'll sign it right away, but I think he'll quickly realize that, you know, as much as he might want to play in Los Angeles with LeBron James, you know, the Lakers have made it pretty clear. They're not gutting the roster to bring Kyrie Irving in, which is really what they'd have to do to to clear that requisite cap space. There, there will not be a Phoenix reunion with Kevin Durant in his future. And, you know, I don't anticipate one of these rebuilding teams like Detroit or San Antonio or Houston going out there and splurging on Kyrie Irving. I, I think the Mavericks need Kyrie because they're what they gave up. And Kyrie needs the Mavericks to make the most money. What will probably be the last big contract of his career. So my my belief, it's fueled by what most other people around the league I talk to believe is that eventually Kyrie will be back in Dallas. Okay, so before I respond, gun to your head, Kyrie signs with Dallas. What does the deal look like? I think it's a three-year close-to-max-level contract with incentives to get to a guaranteed mark on the fourth year, whether it's number of games played or or whatever Dallas can do to incentivize to to get him there. I, look, I don't have a problem paying Kyrie max level dollars on a short-term deal. Like I think he's when he's healthy and out there on the floor, he's still worthy of a max level contract, especially in today's NBA. It's just the number of years. Like you can't commit four years guaranteed to this guy. You can't do it because I, I mean, you know, uh, I, I actually kind of like this part of me that likes Kyrie because I, I do think that he's got some fans across the league and you know, in terms of guys inside locker rooms. And I think he's a special talent, you know, when he's at his best. But the facts are irrefutable. He forced his way out of Cleveland because he didn't want to be there. He was part of the reason of the the toxicity in Boston's locker room that ended their chances of doing anything. He muscled his way out of Brooklyn when they were something like 20-1 and one in the previous, like, 21 games before Kevin Durant went out with that injury. He blew up their chances of winning anything. So how can you commit, you know, four years guaranteed to this guy. So I get the feeling that there will be a settling on a three-year type of deal with the kind of incentives in place that if Kyrie is healthy and available, um, he is going to be able to play. And the specific, like, catastrophic mix of ingredients here is Kyrie's personality and the fact that it's a marriage of necessity, like you said. Because I agree, like, like there's no doubt that if Kyrie want, like could pick anywhere, he'd pick the Lakers. They specifically need what he brings to the table. Like they absolutely need high level shot creation from the guard from the guard position, especially with the way that LeBron's aging. It's a bigger uh, you know, stage for him. It's uh makes a ton of sense for him to play alongside Anthony Davis in the coming years after LeBron James retires. But obviously, just by virtue of what you were talking about and his pursuit of this long-term contract, he just was never going to be able to get that with the Lakers unless they were fortunate enough to get to uh, make the trade at the deadline, which Dallas scooped them uh, underneath. But, you know, the thing that specifically concerns me is the middle of the season next year with Dallas. Because I'm, I'm glad you pointed out the fact that Kyrie's talent is worth the max. Because... Too often when we have these discussions, people are like, oh, it's Kyrie being Kyrie again. And it's like, yeah, well, Kyrie being Kyrie also equals being awesome at basketball. Like, he's still incredible at what he does. But what I think about is like, okay, we've got a 
We've got a uh, three-game losing streak culminating in an ugly Christmas Day loss, and it's they're like 12 and 17, and they still don't have the horses on the wing. Like, because we know Kyrie doesn't really want to be there, it just seems to make it that much more likely that he would try to implode the situation. And to me, this is headed towards a textbook, I'm going to get my long-term deal and then eventually work my way towards a trade, unless things go perfectly, which it's just, again, and I, I, I don't understand, I'm sure Dallas has some sort of plan in mind, but they need so much in terms of size and athleticism that, like, I'm not sure even if in one offseason they're capable of, of of obtaining that. And so I'm a little concerned with them, especially in an offseason where you and I both know, especially after Denver just bullied everybody on their way to the trophy, most likely, that teams are going to be on the hunt for size and athleticism. That's going to be the – every guard that looks like Bruce Brown is going to be the guy that they want. Every forward that can give you 20 – or, like, you know, uh, 80% of the Aaron Gordon experience, experience that guy's going to be, you know, a hot commodity in this particular offseason. So I don't really necessarily see a version of that working out super well. Yeah, and and, and what, what are, like, let's say everything goes perfectly next year where Kyrie plays 70 games, Luka plays 75, um, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. is healthy. Everybody's healthy in that rotation. Is that like a four seed? A five seed? I mean, the depth of the Western Conference is is not changing in the next year. In fact, it's probably going to get better as, you know, the Pelicans re-enter the mix when when Zion's healthy and you see and you know, you see some of these younger teams that are coming up. The Thunder. They're gonna, yeah, the Thunder are, are probably gonna be a playoff team next year if Chet Holmgren is anything close to what people think he is, uh, and the organic growth within that organization. I just like it, it's a Best case scenario, it's a shorter ceiling, which doesn't change the necessity of it. Dallas still has to do it because they can't run the risk of Luka Doncic looking around in a year going, what's the plan here? Like, I'm I'm in the prime of my career. I'm an MVP candidate, and I'm competing for play-in slots, or I'm getting beat in the first round. Like, in today's NBA, that's the nightmare scenario. So I, I get why they have to do it. I just think – I just don't see the the pathway for – this team to evolve into a championship contender over the next two or three years. And that's a big time problem for Dallas. And the point is, is it might take two or three years and how long before one of those two guys goes off the rails in, in the process. All right, guys, that's all we have for today. Chris, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time. I always have so much fun talking basketball with you and I hope we get to do it a lot more over the course of the next year. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. 
Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.